the RPG Bot Dog Podcast. My name's Roberto, and I'm just practicing my stabbing. What, are you calling me Crazy Red? Look, Tyler Kamstra! Hi, everybody. And also, Ashila! Oh boy, I just love killing. Ah! <laughs> 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 Tyler, what I are we doing tonight? <laughs> I, I'm... Boy, uh, something. Forgot. Uh, <laughs> I think it was talking about martial classes? That sounds right. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so tonight, we're going to talk about martial classes, specifically what you might call warrior classes, quote-unquote. So in your, in your classic party makeup of cleric, fighter, rogue, wizard, this is your fighter and fighter equivalent classes. So... We, personally, my fault, we spend a lot of time talking about spellcasters on this podcast because spellcasters are great and they're wonderful and I love them, but marshals are also there. Uh, so tonight we're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, wow. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes a- those, those player characters also show up to the campaign. <laughs> they sure if you're do. A Marshall, if you're a Marshall player, uh, Tyler <laughs> just tolerates your existence. Apparently. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's even, support him. It's, it's actually better than that. He's glad that you're not there distracting from all of his wizard accomplishments. Yeah, I mean, you're, ju- you're just in the background supporting him and all of his endeavors. Listen, <laughs> at some point, someone is going to have to carry all of this loot home. Yeah. Are, are you oh, going to be glad Lord. you're there? Oh. <laughs> I mean, all right, we joke about it all the time, but there, there really is this idea of like, yeah, what I need is somebody to babysit me until I can cast Fireball. Kind of. <laughs> then I need you out of the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, weirdly, that discussion hits on a lot of the things that we wanted to talk about tonight. How do we play these warrior classes well? How do we DM or GM for these classes in a way that keeps those characters engaged in the game? And how do we keep them relevant at high levels once the spellcasters have started to run away with things? Because, like, yeah, the fight and the wizard says, okay, I can cast fireball. I'm going to do triple digit damage at level five total spread across however many targets are in this room. And the fighter's like, I could maybe do 20 in a round? Maybe. They're not always clumped together, Tyler. They're not always clumped together. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to walk around the circle and just shove them in the middle. Just, just push them. Push them. I'm going to push them. No, no, no. That's too aggressive. <laughs> All right. So, so I want to hit on what which classes we want to talk about specifically and uh, we're we're going to hit on like what makes each of these classes distinct cuz i mean there's a reason they're different classes it's not just all like here's fighter and the fighter subclass barbarian and the fighter subclass whatever like so what makes each of these classes uh what how about we do them in alphabetical order because that's that's the order i wrote them in the show notes uh barbarian in your mind guys what defines the barbarian? Boring. Ooh, wow. Okay. <laughs> barbarian is for boring. That's it. Um, B is for boring. I don't know what you want. <laughs> no, I, I guess. So for my take, I go to, uh, so for 5e, I go for reckless attack. I think about the idea of it's like, oh, great. I can just give myself advantage on my attacks. 
which is really valuable and other things get advantage against attacking me. And sometimes that sucks. You know, I burn every time we get into combat, I burn my first bonus action to be useful because otherwise, mm -hmm. (laughs) otherwise you're a bad fighter. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the reason I call barbarians boring is like every class kind of has, has a flow sheet of like basic actions that they take in a, in a given round as a barbarian, your flow sheet's pretty short. Are you raging? If no, rage. Are you in melee? If no, get into melee. <laughs> then hit. Are they flying? Well, then I guess you're out of luck, buddy. You're just going to sit here now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Are they flying? Do you have a javelin? Miss with it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oof. That's how that goes. <laughs> yeah. But there, uh, all, there's so much more, though. Yeah. There, there's so much more. I, I, you're right. I'm, I'm, I, I'm forgetting. You know, if a if a creature's out of your reach and you don't have any javelins, sit there and contemplate your life choices. That's what yeah. it is. Well, you know, in my in my opinion, it's rage both in and out of game. Yep. Pretty <laughs> uh, much. No, I, my my most recent like long lived character who we talked about both on Twitter and on the podcast, Skog, Beast Barbarian. Tons of fun to play, spent a lot of time grappling. Anytime things were in the air and thought they were out of reach, I just jumped at them. Honestly, uh, it was fantastic. It was so much see, fun. didn't grapple at them. Yeah. See, that's why you need a weapon of returning. <laughs> yeah. God, they really need more of those in 5e. It's really yep. just the dwarven thrower, and that's it. Yep. I guess the artificer thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so how about the fighter? What defines the fighter to you guys? Basic. <laughs> I'm just going to roast all the classes. That's what I'm going to do. You're among friends. That's going to be my thing. I I think there's some reasonable things that are attractive about the fighter. Um, So if you go down the champion route, uh, we did a recent episode on Dice Math. You can hark back to it, but to call it out, basically, if you go the champion route, early in the game, you're going to get that both 19s and 20s are crits. If you can find a way to attack with advantage, it is near a 20% likelihood that you're going to crit. Later in the game, 18, 19s, and 20s are crits. And at that point, there's like it's a 28% chance that you're going to crit on an attack. So if you combine that with multi-attack, you, on a regular basis, should be doing a very healthy amount of damage compared to fighters that are weaker than you. Compared to the sorcerer or the wizard in your army, Okay, maybe maybe not so much. (laughs) Uh, I say this as a person who has played fighters in the past. Uh, So I do love fighters, even though I'm roasting them. Please, I beg of you, don't play champion, okay? (laughs) Don't. (laughs) There are so many more interesting fighter subclasses. Please don't play champion. Yeah, maneuvers Uh, are fun. There's a lot of choices sitting there in front of you. Yes, (laughs) Battlemaster is right there. If you're going to be basic... Be that. Well, don't, don't be at that point, it's not basic. Like you might not be effective, but you're sure going to have some choices in front of you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For sure. For sure. <laughs> okay. Which and, and we should say, is- like, I, I feel like we're primarily focusing on five E. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe at some point we come back and we roll through and we say something about PF two because for sure, I, actually, I think they get some of these things better. But yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, even Pathfinder, I feel we'll we'll get to it later. But I, even Pathfinder one, I feel martial characters are way stronger than in 5e uh in some ways yes in some ways no uh so the the conceptual overlap between like 
both editions of Pathfinder or every edition of D and D. I mean, some of these classes haven't existed in every edition, but um, like the conceptual overlap is still there. They still face a lot of the same like meta problems. Like, sure, there's differences in the class design and things like that, but you're still going to have the problem of like, I'm a level ten fighter. I am the world's greatest great sword wielder, and my enemy is flying ten feet above my head, and I can't do a thing about that. <laughs> Just that doesn't jump change and between games. Jump yeah. and poke. <laughs> But the thing about it is, is that in Pathfinder, there are way more magic items. In Pathfinder 1, there are way more magic items. There are feats that you can take. There's weird feats. Like, I recently <laughs> found that there was, like, uh, an entire feat tree of having a possessed hand that you can take off. Uh, what? Yes. That is a feat tree <laughs> in Pathfinder. Um, and can so you leave a sword in it and, like, wield the sword in your hand that you've detached? I don't know, but <laughs> one of the, so one of, so the the second the second feat in the feat tree uh, allows your hand to act autonomously from you even when you're unconscious. So it can drag you five feet like away from things, and it can feed you a potion. So if you want to make a broken a broken character in Pathfinder, you can. Like my uh, Colby is playing a like a rage monk or something. I don't know what the class is <laughs> that gets big. His whole thing, their whole thing is they get big and then they get even bigger and then they just wail on people for six hits in a row. That's a basic attack. It's not an action <laughs> surge. Just six attacks and they get a bunch of attacks of opportunity. They do the most damage of anyone in the party, except maybe me, who's a witch. Um, but even then, like they out damage me quite consistently. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that the uh, the arcane caster in the party still the best? Yes, but <laughs> but it's close. It's getting I, I, real close. I, I, it, I feel like hmm. it is closer than in five E. Like for sure. Maybe uh, I mean, there's that's the problem with magic is that when you have something that has infinite possibilities besides just hitting a person, there's limitations on that. But like I said, uh, Colby's character probably out damages me pretty consistently. All right. Okay. So if I know my alphabet, we talked about barbarian. We talked about fighter. I think the next thing to talk about is the paladin. Uh, uh, hey, okay. you skipped I, one. You skipped one. No, <laughs> I didn't. Back. Okay. I, I didn't back. skip the monk. I was just, I was going <laughs> to. All right. All right. I so, was going to not so do that. We're going to have a very, very quick meta discussion. So in the cleric fighter rogue wizard paradigm. So that's your priest warrior expert arcanist. Where do we think the monk falls in those four roles? I don't know, but I will say great answer <laughs> that monks are crapped upon way more than they need to be. I'm roasting every single one of these classes except monk. Okay. Monk is actually pretty decent what? if you do it right. It's not amazing, but the ability to <laughs> lock down a person consistently, especially if they have low constitution is so broken and i don't feel like people talk about it because you can stunning strike on literally every hit if you wanted to you um, sure can so <laughs> but and the caveat is constitution is is the stat uh that right it, it's like on average the highest stat compared to anything else so it's literally the worst monster stat to be trying to stunning strike against like how do we make stunning strike more effective pick any other stat that is true. But you want my advice to make a really good monk? 
Here's what you do. Get to Baxi. Uh, take the mobile feet. Get boots of uh, get boots of haste. You're made in the shade. <laughs> no one's just pinning running, you down. No run one's in, pinning punch, you down. run away. Yeah. yeah. The mobile feet allows you to punch, run away without attacks of opportunity. You are just a striker. You come in, punch, punch, punch. Bye. <laughs> so so that gets into that kind of that that meta role question. So the warrior is typically the one that's up front tanking for the party. Like they're the one making opportunity attacks. They're the one like I've got all the AC so I can handle being hit a whole lot. And uh, most importantly, they usually have a D10 hit die, which monks do not. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I want my monk sitting up there taking all the punches in the face. Well, I'm actually no. I'm, I'm trying to remember uh, and I've never played a monk in, in five year, I guess, in any game. If as a monk, I take an attack of opportunity, how many attacks will I get? What, what like. Oh, like someone provokes an opportunity attack from you? Yeah. Just one. Just one. Just, just the one. one. Okay. Same right. as everybody else. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I'm, you know, if I'm Unless lucky, if, if I'm lucky, I've got a D8. Then if I'm doing like the bare fist thing, I've got a D4. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Unless cool. there is an exception to the one attack of opportunity. And that's if you're playing Cobalt Soul Monk, because they get extra reactions. Mm. Mm-hmm. Extra reactions are nice. Yes. And I feel like it should be baseline for a monk. Just let me use key points to get extra reactions. Like that should be the monk's niche. The monk's niche should be they are just, they're very versatile on the field and they're kind of the controller of the martial classes. Like they're able to tie people down. They're able to come in, strike and stuff like that. I think the problem is, is that for some reason, 5e kind of puts them in as the avoidance tank, which I don't think is the right way to go with monks. Monks are not supposed to be tanks. They're supposed no. to be strikers. They come in, they punch, they get out. Or they tie people down and make their lives miserable. Yeah, the the difficulty there is like in that like warrior versus expert thing, they don't have enough skills to replace a rogue. They don't have enough durability to replace a fighter. So it's like, where do you put them in a party? Now, PF2 solved that pretty nicely. Like, you can build monks a million different ways. You can build them as a ranged blaster. You can build them as a frontline tank. You can build them as, like, a hit-and-run striker. It's really great. PF2's monks are really cool. Uh, But yeah, 5e monks definitely just... If you're out of key, you're you're basically done for the day like go lay down we'll wait for you to be useful again later yeah what i want to do is on my turn early levels i want to get three or four strikes in i want to miss on two of them and i want to deal seven total damage on the others oof (laughs) all right well monks are conceptually cool (laughs) yeah yeah Let's move on from uh, beating on monks. Uh, Paladins, and I'm going to lump in the PF2 champion here. So in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, they moved away from Paladin as the name of the class. They're called champions now, and Paladin is the lawful goods subclass. So like, there's a subclass for every alignment. I don't think they've done the evil alignments yet, but I'm sure it's coming at some point. Yeah, like the Liberator. I think they've done evil, have they not? Not in PF2. Let me let me double check once. Jeopardy music. Yeah, then they have ty- Tyrant. Tyrant oh. and Desecrator. And oh, shoot. What book are they in? Um, let's see. Advanced Player's Guide. All three of those. Really? So yeah, they have Tyrant, Desecrator, and Anti-Paladin. So it's um, 
uh, lawful evil, neutral evil, and chaotic evil, respectively. All right. Well, uh, pish pash, my memory is trash. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm here to correct you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. So Paladin Champion, uh, you know, they're they're generally very uh, convinced of themselves. And, you know, they regardless of alignment and subclass, they kind of all have some similarities. You're going to have a little splash of divine magic in there in addition to what you might expect from a fighter. So you had some spell casting. Good aligned guys will generally have lay on hands in 3X and Pathfinder. You can slap people for damage. I think paladins shouldn't be on this list. <laughs> really? Pal- paladins are actually good. <laughs> Oh, well, hey, <laughs> I never said all of these classes were bad. No, just no, I'm not warriors. saying like bad, just like in terms of like the the martial versus caster power dynamic. I feel paladins <laughs> get are on the same bell curve as the as maybe not to a same extreme degree as the spellcasters, but they are pretty dang good, uh, especially with their later capstone abilities. They get super broken especially for 20th level <laughs> okay so i want to ask this question like I, I feel like the answer for how we make our martial character how we make our warrior class more interesting is oh just give it spells <laughs> yeah okay much. so i i say that but, say the the, pal- the paladin in 5e certainly a spellcaster not a full spellcaster mm-hmm. but still a spellcaster are our champions also spellcasters in pf2 i believe so uh they have focus spells they don't get spell slots okay Gotcha. Yeah, also, so like you'll be able to cast like one to three spells per encounter, basically. Also, you say that the way to fix martial classes in 5e is to give them spells, but that's not the case with the next one. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, no, but it's, what I'm saying is that can't be the cure, right? Like, the, hey, yeah. it's, no. like, you know, it's like the spellcasters are a lot better. How do we make these martials better? I don't know, just give them spells. <laughs> no, uh, like, let's look, not do that. You can also look at 5e's way of the four elements monk, which is to this day, still the worst monk subclass. Yeah, it's awful. Also, I will say... <laughs> it doesn't tendency, work. 5e's tendency to just give everybody oops all spells makes mm-hmm. it really difficult to play uh, run a game that is like low fantasy with very few <laughs> spellcasters because I tried that one time and it didn't last because everybody mm-hmm. has spells. Yeah. <laughs> you can be a barbarian, a fighter, a monk, or a rogue. That's it. You don't get anything else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's hit the last warrior class, Ranger. Now, if you've looked at the recent uh, 1D&D Unearthed Arcana, Ranger is categorized as an expert, which, fine. I disagree, but we're going to cover them here because they face basically all of the same problems as the other warrior classes. Maybe even more. Yeah, maybe. And okay. they do have spellcasting, like you guys said. Yeah. And then well, I guess one thing to point out, like we're not going to talk about rogues. Rogues are pretty awesome. They're well-balanced. They're easy to play. They're fun to play. Uh, mm-hmm. There is an option if you'd like to cast some spells, you could do that too. But hey, we didn't have to add spellcasting to make the rogue awesome. But we're talking about paladins. <laughs> I don't follow your logic. Paladins are great. What's wrong with paladins? <laughs> uh, they're locked into melee. <laughs> By the time this episode airs, I will have posted a a subclass handbook for Oath of the Ancients Paladin, which is built around using a gun. And let me tell you, it's a hard build. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it, the limitation that you have to be in melee, you have to use a melee weapon to smite is bogus, and I don't mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, okay, so so I uh, forgot to ask this question, but very quickly, conceptually, what is the most important thing to you about the monk? And then we'll hit Paladin and Ranger. Um, for me, mm-hmm. conceptually, what's the most important thing? I think the mobility and versatility that key points offer, as well as just like the ability to control the battlefield, if you play it right, and if you build it right. Okay, so battlefield control. Yes. Yeah, I think like one of the most mechanically interesting things is the opportunities for role play. Okay. You know, the idea that like, oh, you know, you hurl a projectile at me and I can catch the projectile. And if I'm lucky yes. enough, I can send it back to you. Like, awesome role play. It's, it's super cool. I love that feature. I wish it was better. <laughs> a D10 <laughs> to reduce the damage is almost never going to completely negate the damage. <laughs> uh, my My thing is, I want to be able to look at the monk and say, they can do what without magic? Like mm-hmm. the, the like that, that is physically impossible. And yet here they are. Yeah. All right. Paladin, Paladin champion. What is conceptually the most iconic thing about them? Smite. That's it. <laughs> All right. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Beat me with your shield. Uh, I, I like like the it's like I'm a fighter but like throw some uh, throw some divine spice on there it's like I'm a fighter but I found religion I'm still gonna carry a sword <laughs> yeah I, I instead of being uh, uh, a pacifist <laughs> instead of being a pacifist for the gods I'm gonna go to extreme violence for the gods <laughs> <laughs> All right, same question. Rangers, what is the most iconic thing about them? Uh, nature lovers with a bow and maybe an animal companion is probably what... It's what I usually think of when I think of rangers. I know they don't always have to be that way, but that is kind of what they've been pigeonholed as. Uh, Aragorn and He-Man had a baby. Legolas. <laughs> wow. Wow. What? 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 Yeah, no. I don't, I don't. <laughs> Archer. What? What? Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. But no, they're not as good as Legolas. Legolas hits. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. fair. I yeah. bet Legolas was probably a fighter, probably like samurai fighter, maybe with elven accuracy. That's what I would say. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ch- champion elven accuracy. Uh, ranged. Yeah. Hmm. Ranged. <laughs> All right. For me, it's hunting stuff. They, they might use a bow, they might track stuff, they might have a cool hunting animal that hunts with them, but it's hunting stuff. Yeah, I said Ergorn. Hunting monsters, hunting people. Yeah. Sometimes outside, sometimes inside. Hunting. Perfect. You know, we should hunt right. for this ad break. And we're back. <laughs> we didn't even discuss Ranger, though. We just... <laughs> we, we, we discussed it a little we talked about how they have spell casting and that doesn't fix all of their problems like that's enough well, we know the rangers on the list unless you're a gloomstalker ranger then you're just you're just awesome all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, okay. game eat math i feel like the the first time that i dm'd like a, a longer form for tyler we had a party member who was a gloomstalker and like I had this whole like, oh, we're gonna do a chase scene. He's like, nah, I'm just gonna enter the <laughs> ethereal plane. I'm gonna walk up oh, to this guy. I think that was the uh Fae Wanderer. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, you're Gloom- right. You're 100 percent right. <laughs> Gloomstalker is the one who's invisible in the dark. Yeah, and just does so much damage all the time. Like so much. They're basically Aren't like we? a rogue and a ranger combined. <laughs> mm-hmm. Aren't we all invisible in the dark? 
Uh, no. no, like things that have dark vision can't see them. Oh, yeah. okay. No, that's good. That, yeah, I'm brutal. mixing my reality with my fantasy. And that's <laughs> I, uh, I've never banned a subclass before in a game before, but I had to for Gloomstalker for a uh, mm-hmm. game I was running, Middenheim, which w- took place in a world that did not have a sun. So I was like, yeah, yeah, Gloomstalkers will be completely broken in this setting. <laughs> <laughs> it was the right choice. Yep. All right. Okay. So le- let's talk about what things people need to do to play these classes well. So I mentioned earlier, like one of the most important jobs of, of the warrior in the party is to be in the front and not die. And ideally keep the monsters over there, you in the middle, the rest of the party behind you. So in, in video game terms, this is frequently referred to as tanking. I like to avoid that term because it implies just, I'm going to use some kind of aggro mechanic. Most of, There aren't many of those. And I'm just going to take hits. And the cleric is going to stand behind me and heal bot me while everyone else has fun. In, uh, in, table, in tabletop RPGs, uh, I prefer the term defender because your job isn't necessarily just to take all of the hits and play hit point ping pong. It's to defend the party in some fashion. And that can be handled in a variety of ways, just one of which is standing at the front and being punched or avoiding being punched or avoiding being punched yeah dodging is a tactic well and i think it's even worth calling out like the difference between video game mechanics and most tabletops is ideally if you're in that position you have a high enough ac that there's a reasonable likelihood the creatures you're fighting against are going to miss on a lot of hits versus you consistently taking this like needling damage winding down it's possible you'll go through an entire fight where you are defending and you may never actually be struck. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So, uh, coming as my uh, as a video game designer sort of uh, background, um, there are two different types of tanking as well. There's um, sponge tanking and avoidance tanking. Barbarians are what you think of when you think of sponge tanking. It's just a person who takes hits and they don't care because they are a fountain of hit points. And then there's <laughs> Avoidance tanks, which are people with very high armor class, who their entire job is to not get hit because their armor class is so good. Um, Or they're just hard to pin down, but they make themselves enough of a nuisance that uh, the enemy is forced to try and engage them so that they can stop harassing them, a la the monk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that that hits on something I call the tank fallacy, which is just the concept that my character is so frustrating to damage. Like, I have invested all of my resources in being durable, being hard to hit, having a ton of hit points. The enemies will eventually realize, I am not going to make any progress hitting you. I'm going to walk around you and go beat up your friends because you've invested all of your resources in defense, can't meaningfully hurt me. But your friends over there, very squishy, and they are going to hurt me. So I'm going to go hurt them first. That's where, like, the, I, sent- I have- <laughs> That's where the sentinel feet comes in handy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and nope. just remind, yeah. Fo- remind folks at home, what does the sentinel feet do? So the sentinel feet is basically, if you're going to, if you want to be a tank, a tank tank, definitely take this feat. Because essentially, uh, creatures who provoke attacks of opportunity from you, uh, their speed becomes zero, so they can't move. And you still get to attack of opportunity them, even if they take the disengage action. So, hundred yep. percent makes take, you very sticky. Yeah, okay, and does, and it's does very it, annoying? Does it lower them zero only if you hit? Only if you hit. 
Okay, gotcha. And so yeah. I, I try to disengage. If I hit, I can't disengage. I'm stuck with you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So I, I have we have an article on the site about the tank fallacy, and we'll link it in the show notes. It goes into this in a bit more depth. But basically, you need you need two things to be a good a good defender. You need good positioning, and you need to be sticky, quote unquote. Sentinel is stickiness in a box. Like there you go, enemies can't walk away from you easily. Done. You're doing a good job as long as you are conscious. Uh, in in games where Sentinel doesn't exist, or if your character can't get Sentinel for whatever reason, you need something else to make you sticky. Like, if you can create difficult terrain around you, if you can grapple people, if you can uh, literally anything else. Like, in, in PF1 and 3X, combat reflexes let you make multiple opportunity attacks. So every square your enemies move through, you hit them, you hit them, you hit them, you hit them, and you can replace that attack with a trip. So if you just trip them, like, Okay, your movement's done. Good luck. Or you could so, do compelled duel as a paladin. That always works. Yes. Yeah, compelled duel's really cool. It does. They can move anywhere within thirty feet of you, but then all you do is like, okay, compelled duel. You and I are now dueling. I'm gonna walk behind you, <laughs> so it's me, the bad guy, my allies. But bad guy can't get into melee with my allies because that's beyond thirty feet. Yeah, <laughs> which feels very silly, but it works. That's great. Let's talk a bit about damage output because uh, part of being your party's frontline warrior, part of being that defender means you are focusing more on protecting your allies than you are on strictly dealing damage. How much damage do we reasonably want from a warrior? And that's a hard question. If you're if you're saying how much do we want in order for it to feel good or how much do we want in order for to put it on par? with spellcasters because i think those are two very different questions <laughs> let's start with feeling good okay. we're not trying feeling to, good. we're not climbing an infinitely tall mountain today yeah and can it feel good if it isn't you know at least half as much as i would say let's say yes like my strongest attacks should uh should do as much damage to one person as a spellcaster can do in an area that's what i think the baseline should be like it, it obviously spellcasters will have those really hard hitting spells that hit one person for a lot of damage but those spells are actually surprisingly rare there are uh there are some of them but they're not like the main focus most spellcasters are really good because they're good at area control they're good at aoeing and stuff like that and martial classes aren't good at that if you're if you're going to play a fighter if you're splitting your attacks between things you're doing it wrong <laughs> You're not Agreed. built to be doing that. You're built to pick a person and wail on them until they're dead. Um, because mm-hmm. if you try to attack multiple things, it's just going to make you feel like crap because your damage is not going to be good. Um, and so I feel like the other problem with martial classes, especially when it comes to damage, is with casters, right? You throw a spell and either hits or it doesn't hit, or they save or they don't save. Um, and either way, you get some damage, even if they save, uh, which is why you probably should be leaning on the save or, or, or save for half spells, because those are always the ones that feel good. You don't get that as a fighter. With a fighter, you have to make an attack every single time on every damaging opportunity that you have. <laughs> and so chances and the worst part about that is, is that as you get more attacks, your chances to crit fail uh, go up 
and your chances to <laughs> miss also go up. So it's a it's a recipe and it's an exercise in frustration. And since if you even miss with one attack, that's like either a third or a half or more of your damage that's just gone. See, I think you have to build that into the expectation value though, right? Like I'm I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna have two, three, four attacks, I'm gonna burn an action surge, I'm gonna get like another attack out of this. The realization has to be that you're going to miss a certain number of these. What I would push for is you should find a way to get advantage because advantage is such a huge multiplier. And then at that point, as as a warrior class, what am I really looking for? Um, I want to hit a couple times a turn. I want to deal moderate damage every time I hit. And once a round, once every two rounds, I want to crit. And I'm going to feel really good when I get to roll all those dice for critting. Yeah, critting does always feel nice. And at least in 5e, spellcasters just basically don't do that unless you're a warlock like there aren't any spells which call for a spell attack past level two yeah and i think i think one D that is one thing that i would i think they got right in the playtest material was taking crit damage away from spell casters people groaned about it but uh i'm sorry you can do so much damage already <laughs> Uh, you don't get to crit. I'm sorry. That's 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 how that goes. Uh, the, the the martial classes need something to keep in par, and the fact that they have the the ability to crit keeps them relevant throughout the late game. And the other way that I would say that you can maybe tweak fighter uh, uh, warriors to be a little bit feel better is give them more save for half stuff. Like maybe there are specific maneuvers you can do that even if it doesn't connect. If they, if you, if you get close to the num the AC or whatever, like within five points, let's say, maybe they take a little bit of damage, like even a little bit of damage. It doesn't just feel so bad when you're just like, <laughs> I'm just having a bad roll day and I just can't hit anything, and you're just gonna feel useless that entire fight. Yeah, I feel like in PF2 system where you have the the gambit of like crit fail fail succeed success critical success. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Where you would say like. Certain things, if you're expending a resource on a failure, I'm going to give you some token amount of damage. In in 5e, that doesn't feel as good to me because we we generally do think of uh, attacking failures being failures. And I think you're saying, we'll just stop that, fix it. I would almost rather say, let's just find a way to get more attacks. Because I think that's also fun for the player, right? Like, you know, is it really that much more complicated to roll like six attacks in a turn? Not really. I'm going to roll some d20s. I'm going to hit or hit or I'm going to not. I think effectively for the expectation value of the damage you put out in a turn, you could probably get to the same point without having to give partial damage on a failure. I think that's a good point because, uh, you know, at the beginning of the game, the appeal of fighters is they don't have any resources really to spend except for like a few. Like their their damage is just the same thing. They just attack. They never run out of attacks. They can always attack. Whereas spellcasters, especially early on, once you're out of spells, I guess I'm just going to cantrip now, which does underwhelming damage usually. Um, so, but once you get to higher levels, that becomes less of a problem for spellcasters. Like, there's probably no way that you're going to go through all of your spells in a fight or two fights or even an entire day. Uh, but a fighter only ever gets three attacks. That doesn't feel fair. I feel like <laughs> give them more attacks. <laughs> Yeah, let's get these action surges back more quickly, like whatever yeah, it takes. Exactly. 
Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. So you guys hit on some cool ideas there. So if I remember right from fourth edition, it's been a long time. So I'm like dredging this up from a decade plus ago. I'm trying to repress it too. (laughs) I'm pretty sure one of the first level fighter feats is like one, one of your at will feats is you attack with a two handed weapon. If you miss, you still apply your strength bonus to damage. So like, that idea has been explored before and like yeah it feels very satisfying especially in a game where you're generally making one attack per turn like 4e it's like i use my action to make this one attack and a thing will happen or it won't who knows so we could certainly explore that idea again like a battle master maneuver that does something like that would be cool i don't know if i'd ever take it but it might feel very satisfying for people who are inclined to rolling poorly um yeah adding more attacks certainly could be an option to boost the damage output for marshals um but then like each attack has a real world time cost like sure you can at the beginning of your turn say like there's one enemy on this field i'm just going to throw all of my attacks at them and hope for the best and just roll them all at once but if there's possibility that you're going to drop them and then move targets like okay i'm going to roll one is he dead i'm going to roll another is he dead i'm going to roll another is he dead like that takes time so more attacks on every character isn't necessarily the best option but it does feel on par with like if there's four enemies out there and i'm i'm casting a fireball and the the gm is deciding to uh roll the saving throw for each creature individually that's about as bad as rolling many attacks Uh, yeah it is about as bad that's true I, i do hear what you're saying but i feel like if if at that point i think the player representing the fire fighter is having a fantastic time. He's like, oh boy, I'm going to punch him in the face again. Or with my sword, though. <laughs> and probably his peers are having fun, too. Certainly hope so. The other thing about fighters that I feel like feels less fun to play than as a caster is as a caster, you have so many options, so many things that you can choose from. Do I want a fireball? Do I want to put down uh, some thorns? Do I want to banish a guy? Do I want to try to dominate this person? Do I want to make him dance? Like you have a lot of just uh, options at your disposal. If you're an illusion way, a wizard, forget about it. Like your, your options are <laughs> limitless. Um, yeah. uh, depending on the DM, of course. But as a fighter, you really only have the one option. I hit him with my sword. That's why I feel like but sometimes you put your sword out and you take a great axe. Yeah, that's why I feel <laughs> like I, I've played fighters before, and I feel like the two fighters that I had the most fun with were Battlemaster or Eldritch Knight. Eldritch Knight because it's a spellcaster. Um, and Battlemaster because they get to do more stuff. Like, they have options. Like, I want to, do I want to try to trip this guy? Do I want to try to, like, give my friend a free attack? I have options. I can strategize. It's not just meathead, me hit. You, you dead? <laughs> no, me hit again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree that that is one of the shortcomings of 5e, the lack of options available to martial characters. Like a level one fighter has the option to attack. They can dodge, they can grapple, they could shove. Why would you ever do any of those things though? If you're not a shove is pretty awesome. Okay. Yeah, no, I know you guys have told me, but like that is a, that is a specific way of playing. Um, but like, I mean, uh, it takes setup and it's not always going to work. And so it's risky. 
so if you're not if you're not attacking, you're not doing your job right, and uh, uh, especially if you have uh, friends who are not uh, amenable to your risky gambits, they're gonna be like, "Stop <laughs> doing that! Hit him!" <laughs> You're not doing damage. You're not the. Sm- it's got one hit point. But yeah. that's what the wizard's there for is to do the damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm only partially joking. Yeah. No, but but if you have if you have multiple characters in the party where the uh, the shove grapple combo is going to offer a benefit, or at least a round of being prone is going to offer a benefit, like taking that risk when you have multiple actions available to you. So that not only do you get it, but then everybody else around you also gets it. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of value in that. And and I, I, I want to pause for a second. More generally, I, I think one of the things that we're losing sight when we talk about just damage for a round is the benefit of this defender as a supporter for everyone else around them. Yeah, I think I think fighters, uh, w- uh, the martial classes are uh, more enjoyable, actually, when there's no spellcasters in the party. When it's all just martial, <laughs> because then you guys are all on the same playing field and you all have to kind of strategize and work around your weaknesses and stuff like that. When the spellcaster can basically solve any of your problems that the fighter was made to, to address, it's not fun. Like you talk about like the defender position and stuff like that. At a certain level, you're not even you're not even doing that anymore. The wizard can be like, don't worry, I can summon a devil or something. <laughs> I can summon fake creatures. I I don't need. Why are you here anymore? I don't need you anymore. No, I have an arcane ward that absorbs all the damage. Why are you here? Because that loot <laughs> has high bulk. Okay, so he's a sherpa. <laughs> he's a glorified sherpa. You can get an oh. NPC hireling to carry that loot around for you. Yeah, but they're fragile. So, so I'm. So I'm going to make a very clumsy sports metaphor, and I know that's the wrong audience for this, and I'm the wrong person to make this metaphor, but bear with me. So what what you want in the defender, like as a warrior, as your party's defender, what you want is a football situation. You want to be the, the lineman, and the quarterback is behind you doing football things, but if you mess up, quarterback goes down, things go badly for your team. What you do not want is a baseball situation where the wizard is the pitcher and the pitcher has gotten so good at their job that no one else on the team moves for nine innings i do not care for baseball and i do not care for football (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's a good metaphor (laughs) it is a good metaphor for sure yeah Uh, (laughs) so all right, so so we want the warriors to feel satisfying to play. We want them to have buttons to push that 5e just doesn't give them enough of currently. We want them to deal enough damage that it feels satisfying, not necessarily like they're not going to keep up with, with the wizard. They're probably not going to keep up with the rogue or the rogue equivalent, unless you're a ranger, but it's iffy there. How can we give... How can we give our martial characters more buttons to press in combat? Beats. I think we should give that some thought during this ad break. And we're back. Uh, as a reaction, I would like to uh, make an opportunity attack against that ad break as it leaves. Uh, well, I'm th- sorry. That was terrible. <laughs> no, it was yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty bad. I think you should Oof. go sit in the corner and think about what you did. I probably should. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say this, this is PF2 and you don't have that ability. yeah uh, so boy we should talk about that (laughs) we've talked we've 
we crapped on 5e martial classes for a while. Uh, <laughs> can we talk about how Pathfinder 2 does it? Okay. All right. So step one, um, Pathfinder 2 has more base options that appeal to martial characters just baked into the into the core of the game. So 5e, you have grapple, you have shove, you have attack. Uh, in in Pathfinder 1, Pathfinder 2, D&D 3X, like all that whole family of games, there's grapple, shove, bull rush, trip, disarm, probably a couple others, others I can't think of right now. Faint. Um, later in P- Faint. Power attack. Later in PF1. Uh, power attack's a feat. Oh, gotcha. But we'll get to that. Um, later in PF1, they introduced Dirty Trick, which is just I do something unfair in a fight and apply a status <laughs> condition. <laughs> pocket sand. Blind somebody for... Yeah, pocket sand, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 5e doesn't have equivalents for those unless you're a Battlemaster fighter. And the assumption was when they designed the game, like, most people aren't consistently using these options. It doesn't make sense to devote a ton of rules content to these options so we'll just put them in like here's the class for the like i want to be a martial character that knows all these cool maneuvers i'm like yeah it kind of makes sense but it also means they took all of those options away from everyone else and locked them behind a subclass that's um that philosophy really irks me about uh no one was using this stuff and it's like you don't know (laughs) Yeah, I, I, yes, was, we were. I was using that stuff. Like, uh, I, I mean, uh-huh. uh, coming to Path- Pathfinder from 5e, I was like, wow, it's so much more fun to be a martial character in this game. Like, I'm playing a, a, one of my alternate characters is a mesmerist. I almost never use my Sonic stuff. Do you know what I do? I faint. I faint like crazy. <laughs> and it's broken. Uh-huh. because Especially once you get greater faint. So for those who don't know, so in Pathfinder, when you faint, the creature that you're fainting doesn't get to add their dex bonus to their ac so you can and that is massive in pathfinder because it doesn't have um bounded accuracy so uh you can take a creature that has like a 30 ac which is uh crazy by 5e standards but is uh still pretty crazy for pathfinder but not too crazy but you can take them from 30 to 11 it's insane <laughs> yeah and and once you get greater faint wow suddenly everybody not just you can attack the creature and it doesn't get to apply its dexterity and it's insane <laughs> <laughs> And just to be clear, it's F-E-I-N-T faint, not F-A-I-N-T Oh, yeah, no, you're not, you're not just falling over in... <laughs> in it's not very I, I've optimized this by getting a couch. One more point of clarity. We're talking about Pathfinder 1 here. Pathfinder 1, yeah. yeah. If you're a mesmerist, invest into faint like it's the last thing that you would ever do. I mean, you get a free faint feat as mesmerist, which is crazy, and your bluff skill is going to be insane anyway. So, like, um, I, I think my bluff skill is like plus 25. So I pretty consistently always beat the deception or the se- the sense motive DC of the creature almost every time. Yeah. <laughs> Most things don't have any ranks in it. So it's like, oh yeah, I've got a plus two to sense motive. What's your skill modifier? Uh, you got it. You got it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so in, in PF2, faint works pretty similarly. It makes the target flat-footed, which um, in... 3x so that's 3.5 pf1 it removes their dex bonus from their ac in pf2 flat-footed you just take a minus two ac penalty so it's like not as 
complicated, doesn't require you to have three different versions of your AC, but it does still enable things like sneak attack and a bunch of other abilities. So like if you can make a creature flat-footed by flanking or fainting or whatever, like all of those things, hugely beneficial for your whole party. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fainting is really cool. Doesn't exist in 5e. Yeah. Except for, I think, one Battlemaster maneuver. And it's not very good. <laughs> Yeah, I think it yeah. like gives you um, advantage on the attack, but like you have to use one of your attacks. It's real bad. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like there are some variant rules in the fifth edition DMG. Like they add uh, some additional maneuver type things. Like I think there's one for bull rush and disarm. That's where you find the rules for like climbing a creature and things like that. And we talked about that on the variant rules episode. And almost all of those, you can just like, yeah, just introduce these to the game. You might use them once in an entire campaign, but having the option feels really, really good for your martial characters. Because if your fighter is like, yes, uh, the other team is now playing football, they have their own linemen and their quarterback is the big bad. I'm going to go fight the quarterback. So I'm just going to bull rush through their front line. It's like, yeah, without that variant rule, the fighter literally has to carve their way through all of those guys to get to the big the big bat at the back. Yeah, it, it's super uh, situational. But when that situation arises, you want to take advantage of it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, talking about some of the ways that PF2 gets this right, I think. Uh, and, and Ash, you called out when we were going through, I think we were primarily focusing on, like, what is a 5e monk? What is a 5e uh, uh, fighter on and on? I feel a lot of the criticism, especially for the Barbarian, was that they're boring. And I think the reason they're boring is because ultimately you don't have a lot of buttons to push. There's not a lot of choices to be made. It's, well, what do I do? It's my turn. If I'm a Barbarian, I rage. You know, yeah, that decision tree you gave, right? I'm not raging, I rage. Now that I'm raging, I attack. If they're out of reach, damn it. Like, that's it, right? That's what we get. Um the feet, the the feet structure in PF2, I think, makes this a lot more interesting. It makes each class customizable in a way that, like, I have multiple buttons to push, and I chose these buttons. There was actually a choice to get here, and so now, ultimately, the amount of damage that I might deal, like the situation that I get into, might, on the whole, wind up being very similar to what I would have had in Five E. But I am more engaged because I'm looking at all the different buttons that I get to push. You know, when you think about it, you look at like the list of cantrips they have available to you. It's like, okay, I can do 2d6 or 1d10 and one is ice and one is fire. And it doesn't matter for this particular creature because they're not sensitive to either of these things. It still feels that illusion of choice of what I'm going to do feels so much better. And I think PF2 does a better job of giving that for us across all the classes. Yeah, you know, I haven't gotten the chance to play Pathfinder 2, but I've done a lot of research on it. And, you know, I see these crazy builds on uh, on Reddit of Pathfinder. Like, you can make some really cool stuff. Just, uh, like, each different class are not going to be the same class once you reach level 20, depending on the player. Like, this one person took an investigator. For those who don't know Pathfinder, it's basically kind of like the rogue of Pathfinder. But they're like Sherlock Holmesian kind of. Uh, rogues but uh, essentially like they had built in such a way that they uh, now have feats from alchemy and the gun uh, the the gunslinger and stuff so they're 
Uh, they're a gun-toting investigator that solves crimes and also like does forensic <laughs> science and can throw bombs at people and also give themselves mutagens to make them better. And that's not in the base investigator thing. That's something that you have to choose and take from other things in order to build your class. And that's really cool. Like there's a real, a, there's so many feats that you can basically create whatever kind of character concepts that you want. And if you're like, this fighter is boring, all I do is hit stuff, take a feat from the alchemists and throw bombs at people while you run in, like to blind them. <laughs> and then you run in and you hit people when they're blinded. That's really cool. I, do. I just want to squeeze in here. I think the rogue is actually the rogue of PF2. Okay. You, you know, true. you know, <laughs> I was they, going they are with a some, rogue equivalent yeah, yeah. is what 100%. I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 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 eventually I would get mine because I correct you guys all the time. So I, I'll take my licks. I'll take my <laughs> <Yeah>. Awesome. <laughs> right. And if, so, and if, uh, if what we're describing for PF2 classes, like if it sounds like, okay, that actually sounds really complicated. The great news is you have a resource, rpgbot.net, that you can go to. Uh, there are guides posted for all of the classes. So, you know, grab the core rulebook, set it down, bring up the internets. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I want to hit one more thing before I call it. So we should talk about the action economy because this is fundamentally important to playing most characters, especially for martial characters, because this is where you're going to find those extra buttons to push. 5e, action, bonus action, reaction. The more of those you use, the better you're going to do. Most characters won't have all of those things built in. Like there are subclasses like Circle of Spores that are just like, here's all the buttons. Just mash the buttons every turn. Just like face roll the keyboard. You're fine. Uh, Beyond that, just look for ways to fill out that action economy. You're going to be okay. Yeah, and I would say like a lot of times the difference between a great build and a so-so build mechanically, you know, it could be a lot of fun to role play and we never want to like crush somebody who's having fun role playing a particular character. But if we're talking about mechanics, we're talking about dealing damage. A lot of times in 5e, the difference between being effective and not being so effective is can you use your bonus action every round and can you use your reaction most rounds? That's it. Yeah, pretty much. So if you can do that, you're you probably got a pretty optimal build. You're, you're probably going to do just fine mechanically. So PF2, vice versa, right? The action economy, it isn't this action, bonus action, reaction. It's three actions and then the reaction per round. Uh, so I really enjoy that because as a low-level spellcaster, I don't have a lot available to me, but I can still deal some weapon damage. There's this multi-attack penalty that's coming into play. So right, I attack... When I attack a second time, I take some penalty, maybe minus four, maybe minus five. If I attack a third time, I take another penalty, maybe minus eight, maybe minus ten. All of your war cl- warrior classes that we're describing each have a class feat available that allows you to do something special with two attacks. Maybe you get to avoid the multi-attack penalty. Maybe you don't. Uh, you get to ignore it for one of those attacks. And then if you make a third attack, you still take the penalty. Um, maybe you get some other advantage, like on the second attack, they're flat-footed, which means the AC goes down. Ultimately, comparing it to what our casters are going to get, even this action economy is working towards your benefit if you have that particular class feature. Yeah, it it does add a little bit more strategy and nuance to it when you have those three actions and certain things cost different actions like even certain types of attacks require different actions like some might require two or three some might just require one so it and for that works the same way for spells too so it's more like an even playing field and uh 
you're given more op- uh, opportunities to strategize as a martial character uh, than in 5e, it feels like. No, I think 100%. And you don't even have to spend all three of your actions to attack. Like, you've got so many other options. Like, shield uh, raising a shield costs an action. So if you want to, like, if you want your shield bonus to AC, you might think, okay, my third attack, probably not going to hit. So I'm going to raise the shield this turn for that shield bonus. And then you can spend your reaction to shield block and just say, like, I, I'm just going to shave 10 off of that damage that I was about to take. And it's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. And, and if the team is expecting me to sit here and and be that defender and just kind of absorb this damage i'm not going to bother attacking i'm going to take it vice versa if this is the last enemy everybody else is safe maybe i will on it let's see what happens but you got a choice in this situation for sure all right we have a question of the week this week this week our question of the week comes to us from wing lady on discord what are some tips for playing barbarians or fighters at higher levels especially when dealing with enemies who have more complex tactics such as flight, magic, resistances to no magical damage, and you're just Bob the Barbarian running on the ground hurling your three javelins into the sky hoping something hits. Well, first off, if you're fighting against creatures that are resistant to non-magical weapons and you don't have a magical weapon, you have a very sadistic DM, and I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you should definitely get a new DM. Um, uh, also, a, The social fix, get out. Yeah, no, that's good. that is a that is a DM that actively despises you and what you're playing because that's cruel. Um, but yeah, I think uh, their their partner is typically Wing Lady's DM. So <laughs> sorry, Wing Lady. <laughs> um, no, I know this is probably hypothetical. I'm sure that your GM doesn't do this to you. But um, uh, you know, another good one: javelins of lightning bolt are very fun to use. Um, and like we were saying earlier. Um, maybe bake your DM for a weapon of returning. Just, I mean, yeah, it's only relegated to Dwarven Thrower, but that doesn't mean it has to be. Just be like, hey, can I put a returning enchantment on my axe so I'm not completely useless when we fight against flying things? I'll be like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if if this is a repeated problem, offer me a solution. Let's come together and let's figure out what a solution is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, for for things... Let's see, for things with resistance to non-magical weapons, the expectation in 5e if you're playing without magic items is that someone in your party is willing to cast magic weapon for you. But magic weapon takes concentration, and why would you do that? Like, Why would your wizard concentrate on making your weapon magic when they could just summon a skeleton that shoots necrotic lasers? Like, that skeletons can do more damage than you are, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so yes, DMs just use magic items. Like yeah. Magic items are the perfect way to round out gaps in a character's capabilities. So like, yeah, javelins of lightning bolt, perfect for melee only characters. Uh if you need them to have a way to get around in the air, a figurine of wondrous power. Like even if you go for like one of the cheap ones, like here's your ebony fly. Like for a couple hours a day, you can ride a giant fly in battle. It sounds disgusting. It is. But it'll get you off the ground. Or uh, other solutions, uh, Broom of Flying. Or, you know, that wizard yeah. can ca- can cast, you know, spiritual <laughs> dragon or whatever. Just ride the dragon. Wait, so, so are you saying <laughs> you wouldn't dope. do an eagle totem warrior so you can have a fly speed? I mean, yeah, you could do that. But no, then you then you miss out on bear totem. And we all know bear totem's the best. Okay. All right. That's, <laughs> that's <what I'm> <laughs> but... I mean, yeah, so DMs, please don't 
Please don't let your players end up in a situation where the character, where the enemies they're fighting against, are completely resistant to their damage. That sucks. Don't do that. Uh, yeah. Give them yeah. magic items. Come on. <laughs> I, I I think this is interesting. It's like it's a it's a fantastic question. I think ultimately, probably what this points out is like we've spent all this time talking about these warrior classes and like how to think about playing them and how to structure your action economy probably what we should do is we should come back next week and we should talk about as a dm or gm how do you make it fun and meaningful for a player to play these warrior classes i think that's a great idea so wing lady like fun. we're gonna do a whole episode yes <laughs> just for you <laughs> <laughs> but also everyone else but also everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all hail the leisure illuminati I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Camps. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook and Twitter, RPGBOTDOTNET, and Patreon.com slash RPGBot. I'm Ash Eli. You'll find me on Twitter at Graven Ashes, and uh, I'm just about ready to announce my uh, new game that I'm running on StartPlaying.Games. It's uh, Call of Cthulhu Regency. We're going to be playing The Long Corridor. And it's probably going to be next Monday. For, well, actually, this I don't know when this is coming out. So check my Twitter. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's always the answer. It's like, yeah, look check on Twitter. My, yeah, look on Twitter. <laughs> my past three games. Someone's going to listen to this. That'll tell you. Someone's going to listen to this two years in the future and be like, next Monday. It'll probably uh, here's a better better thing. It's it'll be the Monday <laughs> of Thanksgiving. Let's say that. Ah. <laughs> There's another one of them coming around. Is there <laughs> so, so many in 2024? It's like Thanksgiving's next week. Let's go. Hey, tweet at Graven Ashes and ask what's up with this Cthulhu uh, Regency game going yeah, on. When are you doing it? Yeah. Uh, it's like in the nebulous ether. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Is it sometime in the future? What is it? Did it already yeah. happen? Yeah, we're going to combine podcast time travel with podcast amnesia. Nobody's going to have any idea what's going on. <laughs> Pre-recorded stuff is uh, is a thing. <laughs> we do this live right before we ship it every time. What do you I mean, know, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to rpgbot.content, content, polls for future content, and access to the rpgbot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash rpgbot. Have you guys watched uh, Crap Guide to D&D on YouTube, the videos? Yeah, uh, oh, you should watch funny. it. Yeah. He does one on fighter, yeah. and he's like, uh, "I'm I'm gonna be say something harsh. You probably pick fighter because you're basic. Like if you're fighter, chances are good that you also picked human because you're basic like that." Uh, he's like, <laughs> nah, "You can also pick like so many different breeds of fighter. Like you can be samurai or uh, or battle master, or you. Or, but let's be honest, you all pick champion because you're basic." <laughs> <laughs>